Good morning. My name is Matt, and I am one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, Peter is not a coward. I know maybe you've been uh, reading the passages or scripture, or maybe you've been in a church and someone's preached on Peter, and especially on this denial passage, and been like, Peter, he's such a chicken. Don't be a chicken. Amen. Right? That's the, that's, the, that's the sermon in a nutshell, right? Don't be like cowardly, scared Peter. That's not doing justice to this passage. It actually doesn't give integrity to the process or what's really going on here. So this morning, we're going to look at this in a way that hopefully invites you to think far more deeply into what goes on in, in you as well as what's going on in this passage um, as, as we look through it. And look at this passage in three, three headings. First is how disillusionment leads to denial. How disillusionment leads to denial. And then how grace restores to greatness. And lastly, how we get that grace. How disillusionment leads to denial. How grace restores to greatness. And how do we get that grace? Well, how does disillusionment lead to denial? Well, first we've got to look at the setup. Peter, well, kind of sets himself up, right? I mean, Jesus said, listen, some of you guys are going to, to fall away, and, and, Jesus, and Peter says, I, I will not. He makes two fundamental boasts. He says, one, I'm better. I'm better than everybody else. They may, but I will not. They might, but, but I, I won't. And the second boast is, I never will. Even though they all fall away, I will not, verse 31, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter, Peter's self-reliant. He's, he's arrogant, but boastful even, we might say. He's also naive. He has a bit of an inflated sense of his own strength, of his, frankly, his own faith of his own character, but he is no coward. Commentator Matthew Henry says this. He says, the most secure are commonly the least safe. And those most shamefully betray their own weakness that most confidently presume upon their own strength. In other words, those, those who trust most in their own strength most shamefully reveal their true weakness. If you trust in your strength, you're likely shamefully going to reveal your weakness. And that's what we see here. Peter presumes upon his own strength. He, he presumes upon what's, what he is certain is, is there and what's going what's to manifest itself. He boasts in himself, in his infallibility, even in his, even in his superiority. And it's into this boast that Jesus prophesies, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to disown me three times. Now, if you're Peter, those words must have stung. First of all, they're public. It's a public rebuke in front of the other disciples. He just said, I'm better than them. And Jesus goes, actually, you're not. You're going to be worse. It's, it's about to get pretty terrible for you, Peter. You can just imagine as that rebuke comes to Peter that he says internally, no way. Just you, you watch. 
I'm coming through. I'm going to make this happen. Well, that's the setup. There's a setup and then there's just the disillusionment. How does Peter go from being this bold proclamation machine, this, this strong, seemingly unmovable disciple of Jesus to this, what seems like this cowardly guy who a little servant girl makes him step back? What, what, what happened? What, what takes place between the moment he declares that in the upper room, then again in the garden, and then, and then suddenly he's in the courtyard and I don't know the man. What, what happened? Did he just suddenly become a coward? Verse 47 happened. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, Mark doesn't identify who that is, but John tells us that it's Peter. Which, I mean, come on, we'd expect it to be Peter, right? Good old Peter. Let me reset the scene for you. If you take kind of a compilation of all the Gospels, you have a a scene here where Jesus has prayed and labored in the garden and and has had to wake up his disciples three times to invite them to to be a part of it, but suddenly a crowd of soldiers arrives. Now, Now, John tells us that after Jesus has been identified or has identified himself, he says, it's me that you're looking for, and they all fall down. So there's this expression of power from Jesus, but then he says, listen, you're looking for me, So leave my disciples to be. And in somewhere in that moment is when Peter pulls out his sword and misses. He's a fisherman, right? Not a swordsman. I think he proves that. When you strike an ear instead of a head, the ear is smaller. So so Peter's already in the wrong job. He's ill-qualified for the role he just assigned to himself but that's what's just unfolding. And what we see in this, in this brief moment is, is a rapid move to disillusionment for, for Peter. But I want to I say something first. In verse 47, what we see about Peter is that he makes good on his promise. Don't miss it. He makes good on his promise. I will die with you. Now, if there's 40 guys and you have one sword and you swing, you're going to die. I mean, in some of the movies they don't, but that's just not real, right? Okay, so, so you're going to die. They came with clubs and spears and swords, it said. So Peter makes good on his promise. He does love the Lord. He is willing to give his life. He is willing to go all the way. He is no coward, You can't write that anymore. You can't think of that anymore. He's not a coward. His love for his master is sincere. It's misguided, but it's sincere. He's not all talk, but what he does is he places himself in the wrong spot. He places himself in the place of the Savior. He he steps in where he doesn't belong. He assigns himself a role that Jesus didn't give him. He's taking a risk that no one asked him to take. And what's happened is that Peter is disagreeing with the narrative that Jesus has been talking about since Mark chapter 8, which is, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed into the hand of sinners, and I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to bring about a revolution that you can't quite understand, but I promise you it's going to be something special. Peter didn't like it the first time. He rebukes Jesus the first time. This will not happen to you. And, of course, Jesus rebukes him. We're just repeating it again here, live action. 
Peter is not okay with what's happening. Finally, Jesus is being betrayed. These are the temple guards. He is being taken to the high priest. He is, it looks like he is going to be killed. This is not the story. This is not the good life that Peter had signed up with three and a half years ago to be a part of the kingdom of God coming on earth through this Messiah. This is not how it's supposed to go. So Peter pulls out a sword and says, I'm rewriting a different story. We're going to go a different, we're going to go my direction with this. That's what Peter's doing. And Jesus crushes him. You have to see this moment rightly. Peter has just made good on his promise. He has risked his life. And Jesus rebukes him. He actually, according According to John, he takes Malchus's ear, the servant of the high priest, and he puts it back on or he heals it. I don't know if the ear stays on the ground or if he just gives him a new ear. It doesn't matter. What just said is like, Peter, your great moment of value, of valor and, and, of, and of courage, control, alt, delete. Like, it's gone. If anything, it's like, Peter, you don't even understand what I'm about. You've missed the whole story. Put the sword away. This is not how I'm bringing about the kingdom. I'm not coming here to bring judgment right now. I'm coming to bear judgment. Peter, have you not been listening? And he's been listening, but he's also not been listening. And he's, he's crushed in that moment. They grab Jesus and they, and they, they haul him off. So just, just imagine the scene. And there's Peter. Everyone else is scattered, running around. This is one guy pulled his tunic and he ran off naked. So a lot of people are running around. But I, just, I just imagine Peter standing there, like still blood on his sword, just standing there. They pulled off Jesus going like, what just happened? Disillusionment. The story, the good life, the way in which I thought God was going to make my world play out, the way in which I thought he was working in me and through me to accomplish, well, I thought his purposes, my purposes at least, and he was supposed to agree with that, and apparently he doesn't because he's gone another way. He's gone this way of suffering and death, and, and I'm left here with this sword, disillusionment. Jesus' rebuke and his rejection of Peter's work leads to the denials. You see, it's a, it says that... that that Peter followed from a distance. I love how Mark talks about that. He, he's now going like, okay, so maybe I'm not sure about this whole plan after all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from over here and distance myself from, from this story, this narrative. I've been right in the middle of all the action, and suddenly Peter, the bold, the in the middle, the get me out of the boat and jump into the water, is holding back. He's removing himself. He's distancing himself. And you, all you see in the denials is the manifestation of distancing from Jesus. That's all you really see. Because, of course, they increase, right? The, the, first, the first one comes and the, 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 the little girl says, the, the young woman, the little girl, it doesn't matter, it really matter. She looks at him and says, hey, weren't you with that guy, Jesus? Which, by the way, she's the only one who will use his name, which I find fascinating. And he says, I actually don't understand what you're talking about. Like, I, what? This is confusing to me. Uh, no, I, uh, 
what do you mean? I, he's like two words. I don't understand, and that doesn't mean anything to me. And so, so he, he pushes himself back, and then goes, says he like kind of goes into the shadows is what ends up happening. And then she looks at the bystanders, not him anymore, and says, hey, well, don't you guys, wasn't he one of them? And we don't know exactly what he says, but it sounds like it's basically the same thing. I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. You're confusing me with all this stuff. But finally, the bystanders, it's almost like there's a, there's a little bit of a rally cry. And, and let's be honest, who's probably in that courtyard is the folks that just arrested Jesus, or at least their friends or some of those other servants. Who knows, maybe Malchus is still in, there, in that courtyard, a little blood running down his... Yeah, yeah, I do think it might be you. And Peter escalates. Disillusionment, broad dis- misunderstanding, denial. I'm just not sure to ultimate denial. I don't know. I don't know that I can trust him anymore. I don't, the story that he said was going to, it's not happening. And so I, I don't know the man that you're talking about. Curses, curses come down, and, and commentators argue about what kind of, is it the curses upon him? Is it curses upon the people if he's lying? Is it, some actually wonder, is it, is it actually a curse upon Jesus? I don't know about that crazy guy. I swear. Full denial. I, I can't be associated with someone that I'm not sure I can trust anymore. I I'm not sure exactly what this means, but it, it isn't good. And it's in that moment that the rooster crows. And suddenly, it's as though someone flipped the lights on and, and Peter suddenly sees himself and he, and he hears himself and he remembers the one whose name he was just unwilling to speak. And John, it says that Jesus looked at him, which I think is unbelievably powerful. And it says that he goes and he, he breaks down, is what the Greeks say. just literally collapses down and breaks apart or falls apart. It comes home to him that the true affection which he did have and was real and was sincere has now been betrayed and, and it's, it's killing him. And he weeps. And he weeps. It's a really vivid narrative, isn't it? There's portions of the Gospels that are you kind of have to try and put yourself there. But boy, there's something about this particular section of the gospel narrative that is so vivid. You, you, you can feel it. You can, you can see it. There's stories in the scriptures that, um, that we read. The stories in the scriptures that I read. When I read the scriptures, I, I, like, I take them in. I think about them. And then there's, then there's passages in scripture that I would say that read us. And, and this week, as I've been working through this, this particular section, and I, I, love this, I love this narrative. I think it's really, really beautiful. Again, I think it's very vivid. But this is one of those times where it's read me. And so one of the things that, um, 
want to walk with you is, is a little bit of a different road than we would normally go. I'm not, I'm not going to give you a bunch of applications. and um, I, I want to walk you through how this kind of narrative has been manifesting itself in my world. And, and in the same way that I believe that um, some of the ways in which I get to disciple you is by helping you see how God is discipling me. And so I'm going to do that here and walk you through a little bit of what that has looked like of late. tell you how disillusionment has led to denial in my life. Well, here's the setup for me. There are two boasts that are probably have been pretty central and core uh, to me. The first um, is the first question and answer of the catechism. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I love question one of the, of the catechism. I preached on the question one of the, of the catechism. I believe in it. I, I feel like it's so, like I, the words, I belong to you, are one of those repeated prayers that I pray to myself with, with the Lord. Lord, I belong to you. I belong to you. This is like all the way down inside. I would say, I got this. Body and soul. The second boast and I don't think it's false, by the way. It's not a false boast. It's false. True. Second boast is um, last October I went through a process, uh, the unique process that we're going to be doing with some folks here, where you kind of identify some of your core values. What are some of the things that all the way down at the bottom is the why of why you why? Like all the way down at the bottom. And one of those, as I worked through and articulated it, was that, that I am someone who, who wants to walk humbly. To walk humbly because the, because the way up is down. And my weakness activates his strength. That's, my, that's one of my values. So walk humbly because the way up is actually down. And my weakness activates his strength. I believe that fundamentally. I've seen it happen multiple times in my life. And, and what's fundamentally fascinating to me is that what I realized is I believe that's true in the ways in which I choose to humble myself. Not in the ways in which I am Humbled. I think we all prefer that, right? You prefer to humble yourself instead of be humbled? So do I. Those are two fundamental core, but those are my, I'll say, my, my declarations, right? I will not deny you. This is what I believe. Here comes disillusionment. Back in April um, of this past year, I was diagnosed with Crohn's. Now, for those of you who don't know what Crohn's is, it's an autoimmune disease. It basically means that you're Ready, science moment? It means that your white blood cells that are very important, the ones that fight your, fight your diseases for you and take on all the bad stuff inside your body, yeah, mine decided to turn against my colon. And so they now attack my own body. And so what that means is inflammation, ulcers, and um, toilet troubles. We'll use that for church, right? Um, that's the gift, that's the gift of, of, of Crohn's. Um, now, yeah, I wrote, it's a, key, it's a keg party in your gut. That's what, that's what I, I wrote. Just bad hangover stuff attached to it. Now, there's medications that can, can, can uh, kind of minimize the effects of it when you're, when you're, so you can go into what they call remission, sometimes for a season, sometimes for a long time, but you're, there's no cure. It's this, uh, lifelong gift. Um, Lifelong disease. And it can flare up at any time. And it will not announce itself. 
when I first got the diagnosis, um, I just refused. this This is not happening to me. You know what? This doesn't happen to me. This happens to other people, and I will pray for you. You see, the, the boast was um, we are not our own, but belong body and soul. And, and I agree, my soul belongs to the Lord. And, and he, has, he has asked things of me, and I've been wanting and chosen to give it to him. He's, he can have my soul. What I discovered in May is that he can't have my body. That is not the story that I'm okay with him writing with my life. I'm just not. Now, if you'd you'd talked to last October, Matt, he'd be like, well, my hands are open. Lord, body and soul. It wasn't true. It's not happening to me. And I can get over this. By golly, enough willpower and you can push through anything, right? And so that became kind of the motto. I am going to, I'm going to draw my sword and create my good life out of this thing. It just didn't work. And so one of the things that began to manifest itself is that things got worse. But by midway symptoms, by mid-May, symptoms were getting really not great. And I got angry. I went from disillusionment to no way is this happening to me. I refuse. And God, we have beef now. I don't know if you've ever been angry with God. I have a few opportunities, but I've never been angry with God like I was angry with God this spring. Like, God, do you not understand how much I rely on my stamina, my energy, like my drive, my overdrive to accomplish all the things in my life. Lord, let's just be honest. You want me at my best. I mean, don't you want, don't you want your people to, to respect me, to, to be someone that comes through that's never going to fail? I mean, isn't that the kind of person you want leading a church and and by the way, you owe me health. Like I'm serving you. You owe me health. Now this is not in the catechism, just so we're clear. It's not one of the sub it's not one of the subcategories. I deserve health. I'm trying to do something important here, I'm trying to grow this church. First set of meds didn't work. Bonus. And so one of the um, one of the things that started to emerge as I kind of hung out in the what I'll call the courtyard of Crohn's um, is is I started realizing I didn't want anyone to know. This is one of those times where God starts showing you stuff as things bubble up. And the reason I didn't want anybody to know, by the way, that means you, um, is because as it turns out. Under the hood, I actually think that people that are sick have character flaws. They're weak people. If you really wanted to be healthy, you could be healthy. 
Like straight up, I actually thought that. And, you, and the reason I didn't know that is because I didn't ever have an issue with it. And so, you know, and sudden, suddenly I'm realizing I don't want you to know because I don't want you to think that about me. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want pity. And I don't want anyone to think that I can't come through, that there's something wrong with me, maybe characterologically. What does, I mean, come on. If you really want to be healthy, you should be able to be healthy, right? No. Proud. Self-reliant. And so I started, I went, I mean, May, June, like dark hours, dark days. Like I, didn't pray, I didn't want to pray anymore. I didn't want to, didn't want to journal anymore. I'm a pastor, so like I'm around Christian stuff all the time. And um, I started having to try to pretend a little bit. Yeah, yeah. People who knew what was going on, I'm like, you know, like we're learning how to trust God, you know. Like, wah, wah, it wasn't true at all. It wasn't. It just wasn't. It wasn't. Now, it had to be because I had to, I had, you know, have to, I had to look like something, but I, it wasn't true. And I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to wrestle with God at that, not at that level. Not, not about something that I had decided was the way in which my life was going to work well. Like, I have a narrative about what the good life looks like in me, and I promise you it doesn't involve crowns. This is not my story. This is someone else's story. One verse that came, I remember um, in the book of Job, God, Job, um, Satan comes to see, Job chapter 1, Satan comes to see Job. If you don't know anything about Job, it's going to mess you up a little bit, but it's okay. Satan comes to see God and says, uh, and God says, hey, have you checked out my, my, my buddy Joel, my buddy Job? He is killing it. He's righteous and faithful. And, and Satan goes, this is a great, this is an amazing verse. Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? It literally means for not. Does Job fear God for not? If you will, if you will touch his stuff that you've held off, he will curse you. I've read those verses before. And then, and then, and then he comes back because he doesn't curse him. And so he comes back a couple chapters later and he's like, well, if you'll let me touch his body, then he'll curse you. And I've always thought, I want to be like Job. Lord, bring whatever, you know. Do I fear God for nothing or, or, be, or because, because my life is a certain way, because God is because God's working out a certain kind of good life for me that I am in agreement with that I'm willing to participate in and can face to face with the reality that, you know, like I fear God and I, and I love the Lord, but he kind of has to deliver this. At least I didn't realize, but he has to deliver this and, and suddenly he wouldn't. And I, and I just pushed back, pushed away, distancing I didn't want to hear what he had to say. I didn't care about what kind of character he was wanting to form in me. I didn't care. Larry Crabb says, it's not usually pain that reveals our pride, self-pity, greed, and rebellion. It is prolonged pain. The anticipation of a prolonged life of pain just kind of expedites the process. Courtyard of Crohn's revealed afresh how unbelievably flawed and feeble and proud and arrogant and self-determined and how my identity was wrapped up in all kinds of stuff. And initially, I just wanted to push back against all of it. 
then God brought me a couple of particular circumstances that invited me to weep over my rejection of him and my rejection of his purposes because you can't, in my theological understanding, I don't get to go, Crohn's happened to me. The Lord has allowed this for me. I know that, but I didn't want to know it. And God in his grace brought it home. In my life and in Peter's life, it's sobering how disillusionment can lead to denial. And I don't know what that looks like for you, and I'm not going to ask you a bunch of questions. But disillusionment can lead to denial. But there's good news. That, that grace restores to greatness. Grace restores to greatness. One of the things that's amazing in the story of Peter, we have to fast forward to John chapter 21. Jesus has been resurrected, and he finds himself at the Sea of Galilee, and he makes breakfast for his disciples. They didn't expect him there, and he shows up unexpected, and he has fish. And, and he's sitting there with Peter and the other disciples, and he has maybe one of the most fascinating conversations ever, restorative grace at maybe one of its, at one of its most palpable John 21, 15 says, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Go and leave the verse up there. Why is Jesus asking him this? Do you remember what, what, what Peter said? All of these, all of these may fall away. But I will not. So Jesus, restorative grace, walks in after tears have been shed over the shame of him having abandoned the one he loved, denied the one he loved. Jesus re-enters the picture and says, do you love me more than these? It's an invitation to repent. What does Peter answer? Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't excuse. He doesn't explain. He doesn't deny anything. He says, no, Lord, I, I, I just love you. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that boast anymore. I just, I just love you. I, that's, that's all I got. And what happens then? Then feed my sheep. Then lead my flock. Then lead the church. Now, this is crazy. I mean, this, is, this is nonsense, right? You have the founder of the faith, a denying guy who doesn't seem to be able to hold up under pressure, and Jesus says, no, this is precisely what qualifies you to lead. The reality of your understanding, one author said, it, it's the plunging of your failures into grace Plunge your failures into grace and you will then finally be qualified to be someone who can live out greatness, who can, who can, who can actually lead the church. Plunge your failures into grace and, and you can lead the church. It's precisely because you are the biggest failure that you can lead. 
Nothing creates true greatness. Nothing creates more impact in our lives. Nothing creates or generates more effectiveness in changing the world than us taking the failures of our lives and plunging them into grace and allowing God to do something significant with them. That is what qualifies us. And Peter believed it. And he became that leader for the church. So much so that he told Mark about what and how badly he had failed, and he wrote it down for all to see. And all the other gospel writers followed suit. You understand, if you're going to start a religion in a shame-based culture, you don't say, hey, the main guy, he's a failure. You, don't, you just don't do that. That's, that's not a good way to start a movement. But in the upside-down world of the gospel, that's precisely what qualifies you to be a part of that movement. That's what Jesus came to do. You see, he came to offer himself in weakness so that strength could emerge. It's because there is failure that is repented of that there's an invitation into the power of grace. Now you have something to offer. So how has restorative grace worked its way in my world? And God's been inviting me to repent a ton. To look honestly at all that, all that garbage, that pride. And the, the amount of fundamental sense of self-reliance is, is staggering. And his invitation has been, I want to invite you to places of repentance. And, and some of these have come straight out of an opportunity to take risks. Uh, the, the first one was, was, was a, I'm sitting in that back room, and I'm not wanting to talk about this with anybody. And one of the risk, what's the risk initiative? It says, uh, ask for help or assistance in a way that reveals your need or weakness. I'm sorry, did you hear where I was? Yeah, like, no way. But immediately, immediately invited to the shore to sit down and say, Matt, do you, do, do you love me? Do you love me more than your pride? Then call the elders and ask them to pray over you, anoint you with oil. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I am an elder. That's for other people. Oh, also, kind of the elders are like my boss. So, like, I don't really love the idea of having the elders go like, are, is he going to be okay? Like, can, can we trust him to come through when it's needed? Like, is he going to be able to push through? Because, of course, I ascribe to them the same values I have, right? Um, and that Saturday morning as I sat there with these men's hands on me and anointed me with oil, asked me, like, Matt, <laughs> as we always do, is there anything you need to repent of? Is there any sin you need to confess? And... In tears, right? I was like, I don't even know how to confess and repent of the fact that I'm so angry and I don't want this. But that's what I got. So you pray for me. And they prayed for me and I wept at the table, slotty, snotty mess at the table. And, 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 and he restored. He restored probably one of the first times in this journey was the, the beginning of, of light being and life just like starting to pulse again of like that maybe he's good towards me. 
And maybe, especially as I experience that level of vulnerability and that level of like looking bad in the presence of love because these men love me, like, like I, there's some healing that happened. I, be, I began to experience grace, right? One of the second ways is God asking me, do you, do you love me more than your self-protection and, um, and more than your demand? Um, back uh, last year, I, I started thinking through what are some of the ways in which I am most, when am I most alive? What are some of the times I'm most connected to myself, to God? And it became very clear, and I knew this, is, is, is the mountains. So I came up with this, this is before all this, um, came up with this idea of a kind of like a, a bucket list, and one of the things I want to do is climb 14ers, so it's 14,000 peaks in Colorado. And so when Crohn's hit, it was like, yeah, when you need a toilet 12 times a day, like climbing a mountain is just not a good plan. And um, so there was, a, there was this invitation to put, to put a bullet in a dream so that you, it, just, it doesn't bother you anymore. Like, hey, that's just over. Let's just put that away. And, and God's invitation was to say, what, what would it look like to trust me with it, in it? And so I booked a ticket for Colorado back for, in September. I booked it in July for September. And, um, and it was, will you trust me and not demand it from me? Which, by the way, one is easy. The together are very challenging, as it turns out. And one of the things that happened is um, two weeks before, I was in a really bad spot physically. I was like, I almost canceled my ticket. And, but it's just like, God's like, I'm at the bottom of the mountain. If you do 10 steps, I'm there. If you get to the top, I'm there. So how about, will you trust me? About two weeks later, Good things had gone on bodily, and so I was in Colorado, and on September 20th, I climbed my first 14er. And I got to the top, and I just began to weep. And the re- and it was, I began to weep because, because, because the demand was gone. Like if, if I had hiked in 10 steps, I really believed that I'd have been like, all right, Lord, you were here with me. And so it was all grace. It was all grace at the top. Like, I allowed my heart to be open to God, and simultaneously I stopped demanding that it had to be a certain way, and I just wept at the top of that mountain. Like, like you love me. Man, you love me. I don't know if I'll ever get to climb another one. I may never make it up another mountain. But today, like, you were with me at the bottom, and you are with me at the top. That was a beautiful moment. One week later to the day, I'm in the ICU. Vomiting, diarrhea, all that stuff. You guys know how that played out. I'm bedpanned. You know what that means? It means you don't get to go out of your bed. Someone has to clean you. And I'm laying there one week to the day from coming down that mountain. I'm laying there on my side. And God's saying, do you love me more than your dignity? Do you believe you still have value? That you're still lovable? That you're still significant to me? Regardless of the dignity you're actually losing in this moment. And his grace was enough. It was actually enough. Enough. 
That's what, that's how greatness leads, that's how grace leads to greatness. And so I just want to say, what, what qualifies me to lead as a pastor of this church can't be how much push I have, how much drive I have, what I can overcome, how healthy I'm feeling at any given moment. It can't be those things. It has to be grace. And, and my desire, my, my commitment to labor hard, not perfectly, that's for sure, is that I would believe that that's the truest thing, that it's, that it's divine empowerment, that, that 2 Corinthians 2 2 Corinthians um, 12 is true. When Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now listen to what he invites, what God's inviting me into. This is, this is my meeting with, with Jesus on the beach. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. This is my go bag now. You don't have a go bag. I have a go bag. What happens if at any given moment, like in the middle of a sermon, I have to run out the door? Then his power is going to have to be made perfect in weakness. It's going to have to. And my, my desire is that I would trust him then also. My desire for all of us is that we would trust him in those moments also. How do we get this grace? I, I think it's actually fascinating. This passage, in this passage, you have, you have Peter, you have all this like claims, boasts, and then, and then you have the arrest, and then he says, the arrest, Jesus, hold on, there's the arrest, Peter comes, and he's, he's waiting in the courtyard, and then you have this whole trial of Jesus that, that Steve walked us through last week. Jesus stepping forward and saying, I know you're having a hard time getting me accused so that I can die, so I'm going to step forward and give you the ammo you need. And then we have Peter's denial on the other side. There's, there's two trials going on simultaneously. There's one happening in the courtyard, and there's one happening in the upper room. So how, how do we get that grace? We, we have to see him as the one that while we're outside denying him, he's the one inside claiming us. Like, like that's how we access grace. We have to see him as, as the one who's, when we're trying to distance ourselves from him, he's moving towards us. And he's moving towards us by getting struck in the face and his beard pulled, pulled out being falsely accused. When we're pretending to be something we're not, he is declaring who he is, that he may die for us, to cover us, so that grace may flow to us in our failures, weakness, foibles, and insufficiencies. It's who we are. We're, we're foiled people who've been redeemed and made great because of a great God. That's what's true. The other thing is we have to see him praying for us. Luke 22, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you 
so that when you've turned, you strengthen your brothers. Before Peter failed, Jesus prayed. And so how do we experience, how do we receive grace? You have to see Jesus praying for you before you screw up because he knows you are gonna. He told Peter he was going to, and then he does, and he prayed for him. You have to see him praying for you beforehand, and you have to see him praying for you present tense right now. What, what if you could hear Jesus right now praying on your behalf to the Father? That's, that's how you begin to experience grace. That's how your weaknesses become strength. That's how your, your, your failures can be turned into something great. Because that's the kind of God we have. Let's pray. Father, your grace is this amazing, marvelous thing. It's, it's undoing. It's... Uh, it, it, doesn't even, it doesn't make sense always, especially when we know we don't deserve it or especially when we're clinging to another way. But what you showed us on the cross and what you show us here at this table is that you want to invite us in even when we've denied you. And that you're calling the disillusioned and the deniers to come and eat with you, to receive the manifestation of your faithfulness to them to us, to me. And so, Lord, this morning we, we receive, we come and we receive your grace in, in the form of the body and the blood of Christ that was shed and broken for us. And we declare the mystery of our faith. Christ died and that Christ is risen and Christ will come again and is right now lives to make intercession for us. Christ, we worship you. We receive you. We love you. More than these, make it true in us, we pray in Christ. Amen.